0: Hi, this is Joe Kwan, The Connection Counselor, and thanks for listening to Executive Presence Morsels. Today's bonus episode is brought to you by our sponsors. Welcome to Executive Presence Morsels CoLab series, where we experiment by combining different disciplines with executive presence to see what happens. I'm Joe Kwan, your host, and today we are honored to have with us Dr. Melissa Hughes, State Program Director at Give Back, author, I love her books by the way, TEDx speaker and self-professed neuroscience geek. How are you doing today, Melissa?
1: I'm doing great and I'm so happy to be here. So thanks for having me.
0: Absolutely. Now, as we were getting ready for uh, our chat, um, we batted around a couple different topics and you brought up something really fascinating and I think that's very immediately on people's minds these days. And that is psychological safety and emotional intelligence in a hybrid workplace. So if you don't mind, set the frame at a high level for us. Uh, what your thoughts are and what you've been learning in this area.
1: So it's very interesting because, you know, pre-pandemic, we had this idea of what normal workplaces look like. And then in the pandemic, we realized that, wow, we're gonna really have to uh, evaluate those assumptions that we have about how people can work, and and how we will work and so everybody went remote and now we're still kind of in the pandemic but we're realizing that post-pandemic is not going to look like pre-pandemic we're going to find some space in the middle that works as we um, experiment with these hybrid workspaces and i think it's really important to think of this not just in terms of how work gets done but how do we work with people in these kind of shifting environments Um, when you think of psychological safety we get a lot of indicators of how psychologically safe we are when we're face to face with people but we don't get those same cues all the time when we're not and so As the I always talk about how the brain works and how the brain quirks, because the brain quirks in some pretty weird ways, and one of them is if we don't have all the answers, we start to fill in the blanks ourselves. And so, you know, from from a leadership perspective, if I'm not having the the informal, casual face to face interactions with my team that I would in, a, in a, a traditional workplace, then my team is gonna start to fill in the blanks on the things that they're wondering about. So as the leader, that makes it very important for the leader to be proactive and not having all kinds of blanks for the team members to have to fill in. Does that make
0: sense? Yeah. Now, what I find kind of interesting about this, from a executive presence standpoint, you know, you're not present as much as you used to be, and I think we're entering a, a sort of an uncharted area where most people, and I include myself, haven't had a lot of experience in in dealing with the fact that you still have to lead a team and be present, but you're not going to be physically in the same space or in the same room very often, if at all. Um, what have you started to find out, um, because people have been doing this for two years now, right? so it's not brand new. Uh, wh- what have you found out in terms of organizations and, and how that's gone?
1: So there, there are kind of two buckets. You know, when we first went into this virtual space, everybody assumed that it was not going to work. Everybody assumed productivity is going to plummet, Uh, people are not going to collaborate they're not going to be as creative these hybrid environments are not going to be equitable because and I can hear a particular person in my past say how will I know if you're working like how will I know if you're working (laughs) Um, and ultimately you know the big fear was well how can we how can we work on company culture and how can we really develop a healthy company culture when people aren't here together? And what we found was there were lots of companies and organizations that were able to do it really well. There were studies, uh, one particular study showed that um, over 90% of 800 organizations reported that productivity was the same or higher than before the pandemic. And the thing that they found across the board and all of those companies who managed to figure it out
2: mm-hmm.
1: was that they really focused on their people. They focused mm-hmm. on well-being and their mental health. And how are you feeling? You know, we they went from questions about the project, the task, the initiative, the spreadsheet, the PowerPoint, the whatever it was and they started every conversation with but how are you? Like how are you doing? And and what happened was when we started doing this Zoom world, we got to kind of look at people in a much more three-dimensional way. There weren't just employees. They were real people with dogs and kids and you know, landscapers outside the window and you know whatever it was. And so People, those in those organizations where they really embraced that opportunity to to talk to people as people, not just as employees, those employees then began to thrive and they found a greater connection with one another because now they're learning uh, more about their coworkers than just work.
0: Yeah, well what I love about what you said, and thank you for sharing all that with us it's super surprising and and helpful is that whole concept of pausing to ask someone, how are you feeling and the thought that went through my head in a flash as you were talking about that was, we should have been doing that more. (laughs) <laughs> Before we were virtual, like like that would have helped us when we were in the office too, but no one really like we're busy, like we're very transactional, right? And it's like ah, who cares how you feel? Let's let's get on with it, you know, let's let's you know let's get this done. But it seems to me that that we could have had from a brain perspective, we could have had that benefit without having to go virtual. I mean, is is that sort of the way you see things as well?
1: Absolutely. I think the the factor that makes this so different in the virtual world is, you know, when we talk about in a traditional work setting, you walk by, you know, let's say I, I, I'm i working on a project and I submit that project to my manager and I don't hear anything. I said, like, I work on it all weekend long and I, you know, send it to him Monday morning and I'm piped. Like, I am so excited to send this project off to him because I worked hard on it. And I think it's good. And I don't hear anything from him on Monday. And I don't hear anything from him on Tuesday. But on Wednesday, I still haven't heard anything from him, but I pass him in the hallway and he smiles and he greets me and we stop and we share a brief exchange about the weather or the ball game or whatever whatever that informal exchange is. I'm not going to jump to a conclusion that he hates my project mm-hmm. because... Of course, I just had a great conversation with him. He's busy. Or maybe he even says something in that little conversation that says, Man, I've just been buried, you know. And and so I can take a step back and I'm not going to make an inaccurate assumption about how he feels about my work, right? Because because I've gotten a visual cue
2: mm-hmm. from him. Mm-hmm.
1: When you take that out of the equation, now we're in a completely virtual world. I don't hear from him on Monday. I don't hear from him on Tuesday. I don't hear from him on Wednesday. By Thursday, I'm convinced he hates my work.
2: Mm -hmm.
1: On Friday, I'm wondering if I'm gonna be the next in the round of furloughs, Mm -hmm. right? Because when you factor in what's happening in so many workplaces now, and and, you know, if, if there are reductions in the workforce, now I'm gonna, Of course, I'm going to be next because he hasn't said anything about that project. Now, the truth couldn't be farther away from that in many respects. The difference is I didn't get that social cue. So what does that mean for leaders? Leaders have to be especially attuned to making sure that there is a level of psychological safety that enables me to raise my hand and say, hey, I sent you that project on Monday and I haven't heard from you. Right? Because my guess is most leaders want me to do that. So then I'm not worrying about it, like all week long, and then then on the weekend as well. Um, But I think that what happens is, when we take away those informal exchanges, then we lose some context in the relationship that we have with people. And then it does become so much more about just the work unless we're intentional about that.
0: Yeah. Well, what I love about what you're saying is it really highlights that the need that we have for a good working relationship, which is that feedback, which is that uh, social cues, which is that uh, engagement uh, is the word I like to use. Um, is consistent, but the context is very different, right? So where where it was sort of natural, or perhaps maybe not the right word, but easier, or 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 uh, just less barriers to giving that feedback, or even if it's unintentional, now it becomes much more difficult to naturally slot into that. And and I I was wondering as you were talking about the feedback and and how the employee may start to you know sort of play that script in their mind right because you know they're not getting the feedback i believe that the leader will also seem like a better leader if as you suggested and proposed that they keep that very attuned and are engaged with people so they know when people might be feeling that and are reaching out proactively instead of people always having to chase after them which may not happen because they're busy and they're the leader i feel like that can only benefit your executive presence, if you're the type of person that they feel is is engaged with what's going on with, with them or the team, let's just say.
1: Absolutely. And I it requires two major things. It requires intention and attention.
0: Oh, right? I like that.
1: So we have to be intentional about checking in with people when you take those informal exchanges walking by someone in the hallway, or, you know, I'm heating up my lunch in the in the lunchroom, and you, you walk by to get a cup of coffee, and we have a little exchange there, we might not say a thing about work. Mm-hmm. But what I'm getting a lot of feedback about how you feel about me mm-hmm. as an employee, from mm-hmm. the way we exchange any any communicate anything there right when you take that out now the leader must be very intentional about checking in to say you know I I got your presentation I'm super buried in what I'm doing right now but I promise I will get to it or just check in when when we have a zoom if we have a one-on-one scheduled on Wednesday to talk about some project start that meeting with hey, how you doing? Like, you know, that tells, that's that's communicating to me that you value me, that you care about me. Look, Maslow's hierarchy of human needs, 1943, I think, I may Mm -hmm. have that wrong, but it's Mm -hmm. 40-something. It's old. That's very, very old, right? And the very bottom level of Maslow's hierarchy of needs says our physiological needs have to be met in the workplace that's salary and benefits. Mm -hmm. That's what we get paid and how we take care of ourselves and our family. The second level is safety. Am I personally safe at work? Am I being Mm -hmm. bullied or Mm -hmm. harassed? Or am I free to share my ideas? The third one is belonging. Do I feel like I'm part of a team? Do I feel connected with people around me? Do I feel like I'm, I can make contributions and they will be valued and appreciated? You know, that is the first part of being an engaged employee. Because if those two below are not met, Uh then you are disengaged and reactive. Uh But if your sense of belonging, your need for belonging is met, Well, now you get to self esteem, now you're confident and competent. And now you're able to share what you know with people around you. Mm. Right. And then if you reach self esteem, then you can reach self actualization, which is to be both inspired and inspiring. What can I teach others? What can I learn from others? I mean, that's the gold, right in the organization, if everybody gets to this place where they are, Com- they feel a sense of belonging they feel confident and and competent in what they're doing and they want to teach and learn that is the holy grail right in, in every organization if you could have that you'd be you, you could you can't lose but what happens is when we don't share that same concern about people as people then that sense of belonging chips away and esteem and self-actualization can't float. They got to sit on something. So if belonging is not there, then esteem is not there and self-actualization is not there. So, you know, Mm -hmm. go ahead,
0: sorry. Let me ask you about something because this is fascinating to me, right? So everything you're saying to me makes 100% sense. And I don't think anyone would argue with it. And in fact, I think there are a lot of people who learn this information right either in a training or you know they read about it and they pay attention to it but i love the way you 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 broke it up intention and attention the intention doesn't feel quite right like like i've had people do the right things but I feel like they're just checking a box, right? Like everyone's had like a, like a, like someone in the organization. You know, sometimes it's not even your boss; it's someone very high up who walks around and shakes everyone's hands and does these things. And you, you sometimes you get like this spidey sense, this feeling like they're just doing it because the HR people told them that this is like the hot thing, and you don't feel the heart. You know, as Heather Younger, our, our good friend and colleague, you know, would tell us that you don't feel the heart of it. You know, you you feel the form but not the heart. So speak to us a little bit about how as human beings, we can really sense the difference. Like it's very hard to fake it unless you're a sociopath or something.
1: Oh, for sure. I mean, the human brain has a lot of flaws. However, one of the things that it does really good is it can spot a phony, I mean, like in a nanosecond, like, I mean, there are so many micro expressions in our faces that, you know, when you smile, and it's a fake smile. I mean, we can pick that up a fake laugh, we can pick that up. So, you know, I think, to your point about checking boxes, I mean, taking care of your people is not a is not an initiative in a binder somewhere. I mean, <laughs> that that's not what that is. And, pe- and people who approach it as such actually create more of a distraction with their people. That mm-hmm. is harder for us, mm-hmm. you know, to know that it's not genuine, that it's not sincere. It's harder for us to deal with that than it is to not have it at all. Because if we don't have it at all, then we can say, oh, well, he's busy or she's, you know, not in the office, she's traveling or whatever the excuse is we can rationalize that away. But we can't rationalize it if we can rationalize it away if it doesn't happen, but we can't Mm -hmm. rationalize it away if it happens, but it's phony. Mm. There's nothing we can do with that. So I mean, what I always say is the number one question that leaders should ask, I mean, if you're really working on building a culture, and a team that thrives as opposed to one that just barely survives. Mm -hmm. The number one question is, does every member of my team feel like a valued contributor?
2: Mm. And if you can't
1: say that, now, here's, here's the analogy.
2: Mm. If
1: you say, well, Yeah. Most of my people would say they're valued for their contributions and they feel appreciated for their contributions. I'd say 25% don't. So that's pretty good. 75%. I mean, that's better than the Gallup poll that says, you know, 40% of people are are not engaged or satisfied in their jobs. Mm -hmm. But think about this. What if you just took those 25% of your workforce and said, stay home
2: Mm
1: -hmm. like we'll pay you Mm
2: -hmm. but
1: stay home Mm -hmm. like we never do that Mm. and that's what's happening though because if those 25 percent of your workforce they don't feel like they're valued members making contributions that really matter to the organization then they're not going to make valuable contributions that really matter to the organization like we have to make them feel that they are valuable members of our team. And if they don't feel that way, they might show up, they might do the bare minimum, they might fly under the radar. I mean, you know, we have there are lots of people that fly under the radar. But think about what would happen if 100% of your team Mm -hmm. was operating with purpose, with autonomy and with mastery, Yeah,
0: that's the dream team right there. You know, that that's like the functional dream team, not not the dysfunctional dream team. (laughs) But you never get that until
1: 100 percent of your team feels like valued contributing members of the team.
0: Okay, so I I got a couple things for you, Melissa. I I love this conversation. I just want to share a couple thoughts because this is actually touching on some conversations um, I've had recently. and and I'm transposing from a different conversation, but this is a bit tongue in cheek. Uh, so, so don't take this as an actual recommendation to anyone out there, but to Melissa's point about getting people 100% engaged, like we were joking around, the fastest way to get 100% engagement, right? And I was take, talking about it from a leadership perspective, right? like the leaders who don't buy into it, is to actually just get rid of all the leaders who don't care about engagement, right? Only have people in your company who care because the leaders have an outsized impact, right? Because it flows downwards. It's very hard, you can, but it's, it's much more harder to control that dynamic from below. You, you can influence it, but if you don't have the support on the top, like it can only go so far. So in a, in a dystopian kind of fake you know, hypothetical world, if you were serious about getting your company super engaged and productive, what you would do is you'd find out, I don't know how, who the you know, leaders are who don't support it. And you would say, look, here's a year of severance. Thank you. And then hire people in a way that you can screen them and not make the same mistake and get super engaged leaders in there. Because here's the other thing I want to share with you. I read recently how um, just having that one person who's disengaged, and I think everyone anecdotally can, can affirm this, right? I don't need to give a scientific study, can ruin the entire team or office, and they've I've, I read a scenario where one person, they got sick or they had to be home. And it was like two different offices. When they weren't there, everyone was like, hey, how you doing? And they were working well. And when they came in, it was like, and they weren't even the boss. They were just like a team member who, for whatever reason, was very negative. Um, talk to us a little bit about like that that culture and, and how it matters how each person is, is, is engaged. Oh
1: my gosh, it's now you're now you're get letting me get really yeah. so um, a couple of things come to mind. So one is that idea that you know, fire the people that don't care about the the engagement piece, could not agree more. Could not agree more. And I'm like you, I am not I'm not yeah. advocating that people go, you know, axe yeah. a whole bunch of people, but Um, I will say this, from a neurological perspective, there is science behind that and it's called Mm. emotional contagion. And Uh what we know is that we can actually change the brain chemistry of the people around us in less than 60 seconds. Wow. I'll give you you a really good example. Um, Imagine you uh, are the, the team member and you're sitting around the conference room and you're waiting for the, your manager to come in and start a meeting your manager is in his boss's office having a very difficult conversation about some initiative that isn't working he leaves his boss's office comes into the conference room and his face is full of angst and frustration and anger he doesn't have to say anything mm-hmm but he's wearing it all over his face. In less than 60 seconds, the people sitting around that conference room table will start to, their brains start to produce cortisol. Wow! Now, what we know about cortisol is that cortisol is our stress hormone, and cortisol uh, activates the survival part of the brain. That's the part of the brain that says fight or flight. That's the part that says danger, there's something wrong here, pay attention, you're going to get hurt. Now remember, the brain does a terrible job of differentiating between physical danger and psychological danger, right. So in this particular case, it's psychological danger, you don't know what's wrong. Mm -hmm. You just know that he's not happy.
2: Mm -hmm.
1: And so your brain and immediately starts to produce cortisol, that cortisol activates the survival part of your brain, which is the fight or flight part of the brain. And that fight or flight part of the brain starts to send signals all over your body, along with cortisol, to get you ready to act. Mm. Now, what we know about cortisol is that cortisol sits on the neurological seesaw with all of those good chemicals, dopamine, oxytocin, serotonin and endorphins. So when cortisol is flowing, all those other chemicals are not. Uh. Now the other key to this is cortisol activates the survival brain because the brain's first priority is to keep us alive. Yeah. That's the first priority is to keep us alive. So when cortisol is flowing, it's the it's the brain's way of saying pay attention, something bad is gonna happen and you need to be alert. When cortisol is flowing, the survival brains engaged. When all those other good chemicals are flowing, dopamine, oxytocin, serotonin, and endorphins, and the good way to remember them is the acronym DOS, when they're flowing, they actually activate uh, the prefrontal cortex, which is right behind your forehead, and that's where all of our higher executive function happens. That's where impulse control lives. That's where decision-making lives. So when the boss comes into the room and he starts to change the brain chemistry of everyone in the room and now everyone in the room their prefrontal cortex is not activated they're not using their thinking brain they've now activated their survival brain and then they're supposed to be creative and brainstorm and collaborate and you know all of these things now the manager didn't he was he didn't do that on purpose. He wasn't mm-hmm. malintended. Most mm-hmm. people are not. Most mm-hmm. people when they know that this is what's happening, they're like, "Ah, oh, man, I don't want to do that to my people." <laughs> you know, but the flip side is also true. We can spread good chemicals. We can change the neurochemistry of our brains in a positive way with a smile, mm-hmm. with laughter. Right, You walk by people, and I'll, I will challenge your listeners to do this. You know, today, smile at three random people. People you have, just strangers.
2: Mm-hmm. Like,
1: not in a creepy way. Just, <laughs> you know, just, you know, like in a friendly, genuine smile. Like yeah. a smile that says, hey, from one human being to another, How you doing? Without saying any words, right? We do that a lot, right? When you do that in less than 60 seconds, that person's brain is going to start to generate dopamine, oxytocin and serotonin. Right? Those are the those are the chemicals that make your thinking brain work. They elevate your mood, your well being. Oxytocin is that belonging chemical that says I belong to a team I belong to this tribe. In less than 60 seconds, you can change the chemistry of someone's brain. So when you talk about those people that are, you know, black cloud following them yeah, in yeah. the office, that they are demotivating to people around them. They yeah, really are. Yeah. And and when you think about the people who are working on the belonging, self-esteem or self-actualization levels of the pyramid, they are motivating to other people, you know, yeah. those are the people that you want to say, "Hey, would you lead this team meeting tomorrow?" Because you know, I think you've got some really great ideas, and more importantly, you've got great energy, and I want that energy to go to spread to the rest of the team. Like those are the kinds of things that we need to be thinking about these days.
0: See, this is speaking to me so much. So. Um... The last thing you said, and then I'm going to back up a little bit. The last thing you said is people don't realize that this is actually an important part of being selected for leadership, right? People think, oh, if I just have the best metrics, or if I just bring in the most, you know, revenue or whatever, like that can help. But if, if you fail in those other areas, that can really uh, damage you. And what you were saying about Um, Affecting people in 60 seconds, that speaks so much to me in terms of uh, the concept that I like to frame it in, is equanimity, right? So at work, at some point, as a leader, you're going to get punched in the face, not literally punched in the face, but a vendor's not going to come through. Your big boss is going to be, you know, not reachable when there's an escalation. Horrible stuff is going to happen, and how you react to use your example, you don't have to say anything, people can just feel your presence. So it's, it's almost not even the things you say, it's like internally in your body, how are you reacting is going to uh, inform other team members. And I have a question for you, a follow up question. And this has always been fascinating to me, Melissa, so I really want to get your take on this. You want to be able, obviously, to feel other people's emotions. Otherwise you're Hannibal Lecter, right? Like you have to be able to feel it. But then when I hear contagion, that's not a good thing because it's almost like it's taken over. So like, I wanna be able to feel and understand without being swept away by the riptide. So talk to us a little bit about the difference between being emotionally intelligent versus just being swept away by anything you feel. And and that's not a good thing either, I don't think.
1: No. So I'm glad you brought up the emotional intelligence piece because you know we we talk about what people need to um, excel in the workforce today. And it's all soft skills, right? But, but we don't talk about those soft skills so much in the leadership space. And I don't know why because <laughs> they're, like you said, they're as important as the metrics. And you're not going to get the metrics from other people that are important. And unless you can do everything all by yourself, which you probably cannot, um, you're going to need to use your people, uh, use what uh, the, your emotional intelligence to really motivate your people. So yeah. when we talk about emotional contagion and we know that, uh, and when we talk about stress, let's start with stress for a minute because mm-hmm. you cannot say to people, well, just don't be so stressed. I mean, <laughs> first of all, that doesn't work. Nope. Like that just pisses me off even yep, yep. more, right? But secondly, the brain doesn't work like that anyway. Because yeah. the brain is always operating at a minimum level of stress. There's yeah. always cortisol flowing. Why? Well, it's why we've survived millions of years. And it's why we don't walk out into the middle of traffic. Yeah. Right? I mean, because we need a little bit of stress going on there. What we also know about performance. Um, people who have if you think about a rubber band the rubber band only works if it's stretched tight enough to hold something if it's stretched too tight it breaks if it's not stretched tight enough it's worthless it doesn't do its job so if you think Mm -hmm. of stress in those terms we have to have some tension there has to be some Stress in challenge. And and when I say stress in challenge, I wanna be clear, it's not anxiety in challenge because those are two very different things. But stress in challenge is, here's this challenge for you. I don't know how I'm gonna do it. I've never done this before. I don't know who I need to help me with, but I don't know, I kinda dig this task. Like, I think this is a really, this could be a really great opportunity. And I can learn some things and I can work with some great people. That is the kind of stress challenge that people need because the brain responds to that. If, if the challenge is too easy, well, why bother? Anybody can do that. And I'm not going to get recognized for that. And if the challenge is too hard or um, there aren't the appropriate resources to be successful, then it's like the rubber band. It breaks. So the stress level has to be right. And the leader who can read their people, read his or her people, and, and understand their individuals so they think differently, they, they're not all like lumped in the same bucket, um, and that you get to know your people by having conversations with your people. And once you get to know people and you understand what makes them tick, then you can figure out is their stress level too low, too high, or just right? Right? Yeah. Think of it as the Goldilocks principle. Can't be too hard, can't be too easy. It has to be just right. And when that challenge is just right, people will move mountains for you. Not, Not for you, but for them, because that's how our brains are wired to work at optimum
0: speed. I love I mean if I get just one thing out of this conversation i'm totally stealing that rubber band metaphor for stress I love that that is so because you know you hear a lot about the you like the performance, you know inverted you and stuff and it seems right, but that rubber band concept it really brings it home and, and if I could just. Um, add a little twist to it, um, I believe, and then curious to get your thoughts on it that the exercise of that rubber band in the right level actually is dynamic. And then after a while you can actually hold more like the rubber band doesn't stay the same um, flexibility. It actually becomes bigger over time. If you exercise it or given the opportunity to exercise.
1: Absolutely. Uh, So the more we achieve, the more we want to achieve. Mm. So the bit, the best motivation we can, the best way to motivate ourselves is to set small goals and get little wins. So every time you get a little win, you wanna do that again because that's dopamine. That's, oh, that felt good. Let's go do that again, right? Mm-hmm. So in an intellectual capacity, mm-hmm. um, if you take on this challenge and you do a great job and you learn something and you're working with other people and you know whatever those rewards are for you, and you get recognized from your team, and Mm -hmm. you get you feel appreciated, and you feel like you're a valued member making contributions to the organization, you're gonna want to do that more. Mm -hmm. That feels good. Mm -hmm. My boss recognized me, I want to do that again. Mm -hmm. That's how the brain works. Right? So uh actually serotonin and dopamine are the two neurotransmitters that get released when your boss says man you just crushed that presentation today i am so proud of you and i just cannot wait to see what you're going to do next like that is going to release all these fun chemicals in my, it's like a party in my brain right mm-hmm. but if you want to kick that up a notch Here's a little fun fact for you put that gratitude on a note card Mm. write it in your own handwriting Mm -hmm. write it down and now that we're all virtual like who gets snail mail anymore can you imagine how good it would feel for an employee to go to their mailbox and pull out a card it is a thank you from their boss saying, awesome. you nailed that presentation. I am so glad you're on my team. We couldn't we couldn't do this work without you. Guess what's going to happen. That employee is not going to that employee is going to get this big burst of, of neurotransmitters. And they're not going to throw that note away. They're going to yeah. put that note in a drawer.
2: Yeah.
1: And the next time they're shuffling through that door, drawer to find a highlighter or something, they're going to stumble across that note. And when they see that note again, their brain is going to give them a second dose of all those good chemicals, because another one of the brain's quirks is it has a difficult time differentiating between real experiences and imagined experiences. Mm. That's why the technique of visualization works so well. We, we, we hear about visualization with professional athletes. That's the brain imagining, like, you know, shooting the three, the three pointers, or you know, whatever, whatever mm-hmm. that thing is. Um, and the brain just responds to that. So if you know that, I don't know, why not end your week writing two thank yous to two of your employees every week? Yeah, And absolutely. make that the thing that is contagious.
0: Right? Ah, I love it, I love it. All right, well, I have really enjoyed this conversation. I want to wrap up since this is collab, right? We're creating something together. I really want to get your perspective. I'm going to share my definition of executive presence. And I just want you to share just one kind of tip or insight that kind of pops into your mind upon hearing it, that people can actually apply to their lives today to have more executive presence. So um, for the folks in the audience, the, the, the definition is executive presence is the ability to inspire confidence in others that you can lead well in a given situation. So from a neuroscience brain perspective, what, what jumps out at you, Melissa?
1: Oh, gosh. So that is, you know, that sense of belonging. If I feel like I'm taken care of, and, and right now with all the uncertainty out there, you know, mm-hmm. if you can inspire confidence in your people that, hey, we might not know what tomorrow brings, but we're gonna be okay. Mm-hmm. and we're going to take care of one another
2: mm-hmm. you know
1: i think that people don't have to have the answers but they do need to know that somebody cares about them as a person
2: mm-hmm.
1: Mm-hmm. E- even if they lose their position even you know i mean i i've talked to people who have been furloughed and they were like i knew it was coming i mean you know i saw the writing on the wall but man, my boss could not have been kinder to me. Mm. And you know, he kind of like let me know that look, we're I'm gonna do the best that I can. And that's all I can ask from him. Mm-hmm. You know, I think at the at our core, we our fundamental need is to belong mm-hmm. and to be accepted and to be recognized. And I think, you know, when when I know that my leader, I have confidence in my leader that he's going to do everything he can, or she's going to do everything she can to take care of her, his or her team, I'm, I'm okay. We can, we can figure it out. We'll get through it. Like that feels good. So I love that definition, Joe.
0: This is sage advice for any time and especially for, for these uh, uncertain times. Well, Melissa, it has been such a pleasure, as usual, talking to you. We've had a few cla- collaborations and I hope we have a few more. Um, I hope our audience has, has enjoyed all the learnings. Um, let them know uh, how they can learn more about you, if there's any things that you're working on or, or uh, about your books, which I've enjoyed. You know, what would you like to share with the audience to learn more?
1: so they can find out everything that i'm doing at my website that is melissahues.rocks r o c k s uh, i put all my blog posts there and every friday i send out a neuro nugget that is a 3 to 5 minute video of some brainy fun fact that will change your life i'm sure <laughs> changes mine so um but you can sign up for that and i am very very kind about not like I don't jump up your inbox. I'm not a very salesy person like that would just be wrong. So it's just about the brain. So if you're if you dig this kind of stuff, then sign up for the Neuro Nugget.
0: Great. Thanks, Melissa, so much for being our guest on Executive Presence Morsels Lab series.
1: Thank you. My pleasure.
0: Thanks for listening. Join us next time for another tasty Executive Presence morsel.